Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Last week, in last week's message, I think may have been uh, somewhat pivotal, and so if you weren't here and here, I just go on the website, you can download the podcasts. Um, Because we talked about what happens, and we use the story of Peter, what happens when I really fail, when I I really blow it? And my failure makes me just feel not just not being a Christian, but far away from God, far away from myself, and I stink. The, ugh, who could ever like me? It's despicable me, the fourth And uh, in that message, we looked at how God views failure, and we used the story of Peter, um, which is really profound, uh, because it never, from the very foundation, it never said, if you return to me, it says, when you return to me. So it's about God's relationship to us. And I want you to remember that. On our worst day, God does not quit being your father, and he is for you. That's, it's settled. That's who God is. And uh, it, it's, it's always been about his relationship to you. From the very beginning, we see that, we talked about it in our, in our community group this morning. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve fail, they, they eat from the, from the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they, they see what they've done, and they see there, it says it, it's so symbolic they see their nakedness they understand they're naked and they hide themselves and make big leaves we're really good at that today they're a little fancier but we still do it and when the lord is walking in the garden he knows where adam is at right god's omniscient and adam's trying to hide and god doesn't come to go what did you do it's it's nothing like that he says adam where are you you're always here to meet with me. Where are you? It's so symbolic, isn't it? Where are you? God cares about relationship. That is the foundation of who God is. It's not about, and for many of us it has been for years, for many of us still today it is, for sometimes it's today. Um, it's about our rightness and our morality how good or bad we are, how right or wrong we are, um, and how we recognize that. Here's the wonderful thing about God. It's laid out, this isn't cherry-picking scriptures at all. This principle is laid out in three different places in the Word. God, it says, he ever lives to make intercession for you. What does God think about you? It's that posture of prayer. He's praying for you. Within himself, within the Godhead, God is praying for you. It says he's interceding for you on your behalf. That means to stand in between. Um, I I don't think there's anything more secure that talks about in, in, uh, in Hebrews 10 about the assurance of faith that God won't quit. We have the, and we're sure of this, in understanding that, now this is really strange, and looking at bounce back, how, how we come out of the things of life, how we navigate those, and how we come out of our own failures, 
What about when your friend blows it? This morning, I want to talk about your friend's failures. Notice I use plural. Um, it's, it's real easy, by the way, it's very, very easy in arguments and stuff to see someone else's behavior and not your own. You see your motive, what's inside of you. You see their behavior. So you judge their motive and justify your behavior. You have a tendency to do that, especially in arguments. It's very easy to see somebody else's behavior. Very hard to see your own. It's very hard to hear your own tone of voice. You're yelling. We say yelling at the person. Stop yelling at me. I didn't know I was. And then you get in the the weird mind, the the stage. But what happens when when it's really a stinky thing? And your friend comes to you and talks to you. Well, I put up three scriptures because I want to look at them together this morning. We're going to read each one of them. Proverbs 17, 17. Um, uh, this, one I, this will show you how I view friendship. This is one I memorized very early in my Christian days. So it says this, that a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. And uh, so I have a, within my system of core values, like friendships really high up there for me and what it means. And not just the responsibility of me towards someone, but of the value that I place in that other one towards me. Um, I have many friends. Should be that way. Um, I have some very close friends and I have some intimate friends, you know, um, my my own you know my family members are my most and it should be that way your family members for many of us unless you have some brokenness in your family you know really really close you know um my the one brother i have left oh my gosh i couldn't do it without him we talk once or twice a week on the phone we have for years i've never had and since i was probably uh I think maybe 20 or 21 and messed his house up with drugs. That's the last argument we had, you know. I, I, can't, I can't remember an, an adult argument with him. And we've just always, he's always been there for me. Very thankful for him. I couldn't have done it. I, I couldn't have been here without Brenda. I don't know what I would have done without her friendship. I haven't liked her all the time. She didn't like me all the time either. You know, we joke about it, but really, you know, we've been married 44 years, and it really was about 37 of the best years of our life. <laughs> and and that what you should do is make jokes out of it, but for the reality is that that's maybe a known reality for all of us. It's, it's the pluses and minuses that actually make up friendship. There's an old Rich Mullins song that says, love isn't found in the things that you've got, but in the things that you've given up. And uh, friends love at all times. Good, bad, right, wrong. Friends love at all times. It's a a foundation to sound relationships. I've lost a lot of good friends through the years and haven't understood that 
I think sometimes it was my fault, sometimes it was theirs. Anybody here been betrayed by a friend? Four of you. Some of you have two hands raised. Oh, there are a few others are going to take off the cloak of shame and lift that. Yep, I got betrayed too. You know, it's one of Jesus' main ministry as he was betrayed by all. So you just enter into the Lord when you've been betrayed. And only a friend can betray you. An enemy cannot. Yes? James 5 writes an interesting verse here. He says, Brethren, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, I know some very good Christians, um, good in the worst sense of the word. That was really funny, and you missed it. That's a Mark Twain quote. He was a good man um, who see it as their ministry to go around and correct others who are in air and, and make it their place to do that and uh, use this scripture to justify that. And I don't think that's what this scripture is saying at all, at all. Not in the heart of it, not in the meaning of it, and not in the parsing of the original Greek does this align with anything like that. Um, there should be no such thing as police officers in the church of God to make sure that each one of us is doing it correctly. And Jesus was very clear, uh, if you want to pull that sliver out of someone else's eye, take the log out of yours or the plank out of yours. It's real, uh, real hard to see. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, above all things, so he's closing out his letter. He's talking about, look, things look really rough out there. Things look really horrible. We're going through it. They were at that point in time. First century church, Rome was falling to pieces and was crazy. I mean, they were more insane than Christianity today. They, they were like, mmm. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, the problem with that is, is that we can also become very wishy-washy in our ideas and uh, I, I think somehow that we think this means you wink at or when things go wrong and you just ignore it and you don't, you don't talk with somebody that you care a lot for and you don't work those things out. That's not what it means either. Um, I'm not looking for some sort of incredible balance in here, but listen, a friend loves at all times. I hope, I hope that you would keep loving me in my failure. I hope that you would not give up on me. And I hope that you know I wouldn't with you. Um, some of you in here have come and talked to me about your worst days. And uh, hopefully I did it correctly. Um, and hopefully how you saw me do that is what you're going to get this morning about what it means like to go, through, uh, to go through friendship when a friend blows it, big time. Not, it doesn't have to be against you, just when they have a huge failure. I know this, these scriptures, when this is done through a legalistic, disciplinary mindset, we have lost sight of the role of our friendship, our ministry, our role of relationship, 
in our role of love and true reconciliation. Every act of Jesus Christ was redemptive to bring back in. Uh, Paul writes it clearly in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. He He even tells us this, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation which is simply be reconciled to God, which is not get your stuff together so he'll be okay with you. It's be reconciled to God. He loves you. He's not rejecting you. Run to him right now. God cares. That's the appeal of a friend. Um, There's two things that usually happen in friendships with something that is broke or somebody doing something wrong or something... Uh, horrendous, some horrendous act that they've done in their life. We're going to look at both of them this morning. I call it the accountability issue and the fix-it issue. Um, uh, the accountability issue is, I will hold you accountable for what you have done or stop you when you are tempted to do it. Did you, ha- did you do any of those? You actually called it Accountability. I have an accountability partner. Yeah? Anybody else? I had three people with the courage to say that. I'm going to, like, I'm going to, you're going to be my accountability person. I have a question for you. How'd that work out for you? That's usually a sure sign of the end of a friendship pretty soon. It is. Because of this, it's a required legalistic approach on the boundary of friendship. So that means, okay, I'm going to tell you every wretched thing that's going on in my life, and that way I'll stop doing it if I tell you, and you'll tell me I'm doing it wrong, and then you'll tell me what I have to do to do it right, and then you'll hold me accountable because if, uh, if you don't change and you don't get it right, I'm going to go tell somebody else, probably the elders or the pastor. I'm just telling you the accountability issue and what happens because we move towards an approach that if I get into that kind of relationship, it will keep me doing right behavior. That can't keep you doing right behavior. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And we shut our ears off and don't listen and he's so gentle. Now, have you ever like got ready to do something and you hear inside of you the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. It's not who you are, bud. Don't do that. And we, won't, we don't listen. You listen. I'm not trying to be snotty here. If you won't listen to God, what do I have to say to you? Right? So, well, don't you want friends that hold you accountable? Loosely. <laughs> Very, very loosely. I want friends that love me and will speak truth to me in love. But that they're going to be that person who is now going to be that grand inquisitor in my life. Saw, did you have any failures this week? So, Chad, talk to me, buddy. Did you, did you remember what we talked about two weeks ago? And did you, uh, did you maybe, huh? Okay. I know, she already told me. 
Listen, this has a sound of good and right soundness. It works in the flesh for a season. It works with a little bit of behavior modification, but I tell you, I've seldom seen it work in really good, deep friendships, including husband and wife. If our purpose in life in our friendship is to make sure that our friend is in good standing with God, when you move into the corrective posture uh, to tell your friend that he's doing it wrong, that friend will start lying to you and start wearing a mask. And suddenly you will notice they used to sit beside you in church and now they're like two sections over. You're going... And they're nowhere to be found. You whisper across the room, what's going on? And they have to, they must at this point in time, because they're really mad as all get out at you, they must put a mask up. I'm fine. I'll talk to you soon. I'll call you. We'll do lunch. doesn't work. It moves away from the boundaries of friendship into a fleshy inquisitor role when in actuality we're moving into a role that only the Holy Spirit can fulfill in all redemptive purpose in God. The Holy Spirit clearly in Scripture was given to each one of us it says that we don't even have need that someone else teach you. The Holy Spirit will. He'll teach you. You never taught me anything. You're a hard learner. Because <laughs> that's his, his, one of his main purposes is to draw you into, and to grow you into maturity. And he's not there with the big bonk stick that the first time you mess it up, wham! Or the other one. It's the old story of the, of the mule skinner that goes, gets a new wife, and on the way home, the mule's acting up, right? Pulling the cart, you know? And he won't do what's right, so he gets out the whip and hits it on the back, says, that's once. They keep going down the road, and the mule stops, won't go any forward, so he gets out a piece of wood and walks up to the mule, hits it on the back end, and says, <clears throat> Gets back in the cart, new wife looks at him. That's twice. They almost make it to the house and mule quits again, right? So he gets out the gun and goes and gets ready to shoot the mule. Said, Mule, you either move, get to the barn, or you're dead. That was the third time. They get inside the house, and he looks at his new wife and says, would you kick me a meal? And she said, I just got here. I don't want to cook a meal. And he says, that's once. <laughs> Listen, that, that is not our role. That is not the Holy Spirit. This is not God. It's once. <laughs> and you got 24 hours to get it right. You do right prayers and maybe I'll, come on, that's not the character and nature of God and we know it, but we make it the character and nature of our relationship to each other. 
in accountability. Because then the other thing is, is we move into the fix-it mode in a relationship. And it looks something like this. I'll find out from God. I hear God really well. I pray for you all the time. I'm going to find out from God what's wrong, and I'm going to tell you how to do it right. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this, and um, I'm going to admonish you today. Listen, I, I love you, but I need to really admonish you over this. Um, I have good news for the fix-it people. You are not the Savior. You are not the rescuer. You are not the healer. You cannot make your friends broke places okay. It's the maker of noses that is the fixer of noses. We can't, we can't fix each other, you guys. If we could, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. We can't, no matter how hard we try. And some of us grew up this. We, oh, man, you see those Sarah McLaughlin dog commercials about the dog. It would be in a dog, and you just want to go out and rescue 20 dogs. You know? sing angel songs so listen it doesn't work even if you tried it when you were younger and you you rescue dated that didn't work i i know i know i knew women through the years of ministry that tried to rescue a guy dated him then married him and it was the worst thing that ever happened to their life doesn't work We can't do it. This cannot be the basis of what happens when our friends fail and they need somebody to talk to about it. John Lynch writes this in The Cure, and I I saw, you know, we use this, my community group's about this. But this is one of the the statements from the book, The Cure, that just shook me to the foundations of all, all that I value. He says, in talking about the whole idea of us walking without masks with each other, he says, what if it was less important that anything ever gets fixed than that nothing has to be hidden? What if we have a safe place where we really can talk about our stuff and not have more shame and guilt put on us without placating us? Like saying, oh, well, giving trite statements. Everybody messes up once in a while. No, don't give a trite statement. This is heavy stuff for their hearts, so don't give them that. But what if we were safe enough as friends that friends could actually come to us and talk to us about their life? without fear of retribution, of betrayal, of cold shoulders, or, ooh, I don't know if I want to be around that or have my kids around that anymore. What if there was a place of authenticity where we understand all of us are broken? All of us, young, old, all of us are broken. That's why we needed a Savior. Yep. All have fallen short. Um, even after you got saved, you don't have it all together. And if I believe that, I'm going to take advantage of our friendship in a really despicable way. It just doesn't work that way. It's not how God designed it to work. 
In, in the cure, John puts this in his annotation. He quotes 1 John 1, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard. It's set here. I think I have it up there. You can follow along. This is the message we have heard from him and announce it to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from most of our sin. All. Cleanses us from all sin. Here's some of the more remarkable observations. Uh, John doesn't say that if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with him. That's what we've made it as our expectation. As long as I keep doing this and walking in the light, God will stay hanging on with me. It doesn't say that. It says, when I walk in the light of Christ, you and I can have fellowship with one another. When I try and hide from you and hide from what's really going on in my life, or I don't want to hear that from you. No, 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 no. You need to go talk to the pastor. It breaks our fellowship up. The natural result of God being at work in our life is that you and I can hang out with each other and be friends without finger pointing, without suspicion, and really walk through it. I think what's most amazing about this passage of Scripture is the promises that the blood of Jesus keeps cleansing me. doesn't stop. It's not a one-time deal. And I have to remember that for my friend. When my friend has blown it, the primary thing that needs to be in my heart is my relationship to them because of God's relationship to them. God hasn't quit on them. I shouldn't. And I definitely don't want to put them in the boo box and give them seven steps. Well, here's what you need to do now. Don't need that. All that does is move us into, and and John writes about this so clearly, the belief that if anything's going to get done, um, it's going to happen on the wings of willpower and good intentions. And I don't know about you, but I can't live in the room of good intentions anymore. It doesn't work. Um, It sounds very noble. It's a tar pit. You'll wear a mask. You won't really talk about what's going on with you, either through shame or from the judgment of your friend. And uh, you're never enough, even if you do the, the... repetitive things that you think are somehow going to pull you out of the horrible thing that you did. It can't bring you a new heart. Jesus brings you a new heart. It can only appeal to the broken place where your sin is given life. 
That's all it can do. It just incites you. Um, I think the best thing that you can do in friendship is to remind your friend who they are in Christ. That they are fused with God, with the Holy Spirit. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. And that God will never quit on them, no matter what. We have God's love inside of us, yes? Waiting to be accessed. Not far away, inside of us. Waiting to be accessed. And sometime, a friend just needs to unload. Sometimes they just need to talk. We've made confession a religious ritual. Not a friend talking to a friend. To confess means to agree with. Confess. Listen, I need to tell you, I'm struggling. Isn't it funny that we talked about sinning being struggling? You know. But oh, for the safety of when you really have a friend, you go, I'm sinning. Like, I'm, I can't, I'm, I'm stuck again, and I need to talk. Well, how will that fix them? <laughs> they need somebody to talk to about it. They need a mirror of reality held up. They need to be reminded of who they are. They need a place of comfort and care, real care, real genuine care. So, really, this is what I found. This is from... Years of, like, I won't even do this. People still, they, they use the old verbiage with me, but they, um, they want to meet with me for a counseling session. I am not a counselor. That's the first thing I tell people right now. I'm a pastor. Counselor, pastor, two different things. Counselors are trained, skilled, gifted, and called in their area of ministry. I'm a pastor. I get stuck with the question, your mother? I don't know the next thing to ask. I don't have that skill set. Some of you do. I don't. I'm a pastor. I can tell you what the Word of God says. I can tell you godly principles. I can tell you how God feels about you. I can tell you my own opinions and what I think about life. And I'm pretty smart. (laughs) Can't fix you. So this is what I learned as a pastor. Pastor is a listener. It's their primary focus is to listen to people. Because what we really want is somebody to talk to. And not try and tell me I'm wrong. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. If I didn't know it was wrong. You can put a swear word in there now. That's why I came to you. That's what friendship is. That's why they come to you. They don't need to be shamed into rightness. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. So listening's a key. Listen to hear their heart. Really listen. Let them talk it out. Don't listen to fix it. Listen, that's a real trap of every, every friend. It's a, I'm telling you, it's just like that big fish head guy on Star Wars, you know? Admiral Akbok or whatever his name was. Akbok, yeah. That's a trap, you know? That's a trap to end your friendship. No, Mercury's in retrograde. These are for a younger man, would you say? 
Ask them lots of questions as they want to talk to you. Jesus did this so much. This is a ministry of Jesus to be able to do that. And not, why did you do that? Don't do that question. Say, wow, what's going on inside of you? That, that you would feel that kind of stuff against your true identity. Talk to me. Were the, was there a triggering event? Did something happen like the previous few days? Do you need to talk about something from your, from your past, your child? Talk to me. Tell me what makes you think that way. Not, why did you do that? That was stupid. Oh, duh. It's, it's really, it's listening not to change them. It's listening to hear them. This happens with, listen, uh, husbands, this is against you. I'm going to kick you right now. Just warning you. Listen to her. Don't fix her. She just needs to be heard. Now, many of us have the gift of admonition and exhortation. Uh, that means to tell you how to do it right and to exhort you to be good. Yeah. Many of us have that. And it works really well on ourselves. No. Um, sometimes, just sometimes, and this isn't just a man-woman role, sometimes I just need to be heard. I need to tell the story. I, I know what's right and wrong in the story. I'm in the garden too. You ate the apple first, not me. See how we get move into... The other thing is, while you're, when you do feel that there's something important to say to them, this is what I really found. This is good friendship when your friend has failed you. If I'm going to tell them something, ask their opinion, or ask them if you can give them your opinion. You say it a lot of different ways. Would you like to hear what I think about that? Um, you want to hear a story about where I failed? I, I did something very similar. I think there's some scriptures that can help with that. Do you want me to share those with you now, or do you need me to just listen to you? Start asking permission to go there. A friend loves at all times. And a brother's born for adverse situations. Lead them to a place in your friendship. When your friend fails you, lead them back to a place of grace and true identity, not demanded performance and legalism. It didn't work for you. It's not going to work for them. It sounds good and right, but it's not true. And don't do the, well, you really need to repent about this. Don't do that. It's like, it's a, that's a spike going into the coffin of a failed relationship. Remember that Holy Spirit lives in both of you. When I keep that picture in mind, I can be there for somebody. The same God that loves me. So, so Paul says, don't judge each other after the flesh. Don't even know each other that way. 
know each other after the Spirit that they're a new creation in Christ. So this is, I'll, I'll end with these two scriptures. John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now we all know that Jesus did that, but he's, he's, do you see the link? You gotta say, love like I loved, and the way I loved is I laid my life down. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It goes back to the same issue when I fail. When you fail, you need to go for a walk on the beach with Jesus. Say, oh, he's waiting there for you. You just think you're far away. You're really not. He's right here. And when you return, talk to him about it. And don't do any of that. No more of that stuff, remember? And you're going to call you next week. Stop. Don't do that. Be there with them, lead them into true identity, and lead them home to the place of grace where they can find and re-inherit the love of God into their own minds and thinking. Re-inherit their true identity. This is what he really thinks and believes about you. Now that's an exhortation worth giving to to your friend. This is what I know. God's not going to quit on you. I love the song list this morning. God won't quit on you. You won't go. Come back to the heart of worship. It's you and Jesus. Come back to relationship. It's right there. So, now I'm going to make you commit that you're going to treat. No. Walk with your friends in their failures. Don't let them be excluded. You don't know how bad it was. It can be pretty bad. It can be pretty bad. I've never seen a son or daughter that Jesus gave up on yet. Whether they were in prison, whether they were facing the death penalty. Whether, I mean, I did that ministry too. I've, I've, he just doesn't quit. So don't quit on your friends. But he's hurting me. This is hurting me. Then talk to him about it straight up. That's speaking the truth in love. And talk about what you're doing is hurting me and I can't be around you right now. Just at least have the love to say that and say, and it's not about you getting right. I'm hurting too bad to be close to you. Let's take about a week break and then let's come back together and talk again because this is hurting me. It's hurting our relationship and I don't want our relationship to hurt and appeal constantly to God's love. Does this make sense? All right, stand with me. This took a little while this morning, but I, I know it, it's, it's needful. What if we have a church where it's safe enough that we don't have to be ashamed when we make mistakes? Not everybody needs to know. I don't want to emotionally streak in front of all of you. But what if there's a handful of you 
that, no, you know, I, I did it when I came in in the morning. I was a little whiner complainer this morning. I said, I'm exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. Yeah, and that's the people I talked to at, okay. Yeah, I understand. And if you're going to tell them, if you're going to tell your friend this, I'll pray for you, pray for them. Don't make that as a goodbye throwaway sentence. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And it trails off into California. If you're going to say you pray for them, then be a close enough friend that you'll pray for them. That's what laying down your own life looks like. Lord Jesus, help our friendships here. Help us to now, we've been looking at bouncing back, help us to bounce forward into the love of God. That we would just be so, such, a, such a people that we would be a safe place, a safe community. And we'd have safe friendships, really good boundaries on those friendships, and a place that we can know and be known. That would be really awesome, Holy Spirit. Do that work in each one of our hearts, in Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.